through the scriptures regarding the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which comes at salvation, and the filling or refilling of the Holy Spirit, which we saw in Acts chapter 2 at Jerusalem, then in Ephesus and at Samaria. And as we discussed, there are people who take all those same scriptures and attempt to use them to disprove there being a second work of the Holy Spirit, as well as those who continue to believe in that second work. And people on both sides love God. People on both sides care for people. People on both sides share the gospel in their community. I, I think it's really important that we continue to recognize that because I can tell you, having grown up in a, um, in a Pentecostal family and then having spent time uh, serving for four years in a uh, non-denominational church that was kind of somewhere in between, I have, I have heard both sides. I've read both sides. I've studied both sides. I have, uh, I have gone to church with, fellowshiped with, continue to do so, and love people that are on both sides of, of that belief system. And I will continue to do so. Um, it's not a matter of credibility due to spiritual life as far as which way you believe on this. Rather, it's I believe it's a matter of reading the scripture without prejudice and determining what it leads us to believe because it's easy. I mean, having grown up in a Pentecostal church, I was obviously then taught in that direction. Then serving with some people and serving under a tremendous pastor who said to us, um, I do at least see in the New Testament that that there is talk about tongues and praying in tongues and all of that. And he said, now, I've never done it, but I just can't put God in a box and say that that stuff doesn't happen because I see it in Scripture, and I can't see that God said, nope, that goes away. So even after all of that, I've been very careful because um, I have seen abuses. Um, I've seen people... Um, make it about themselves. I've seen people that I knew without a doubt that was not the Holy Spirit speaking to them. They were just excited and wanted to do something. Um, and I remember, though, my pastor there at the church that we went to, non-denomination, and he said, Nathan, I believe that's the biggest fear is people that want to backlash so far as to say that because they've seen abuse, then it's better to have nothing because it, that, that abuse is bad. That would almost be like saying we shouldn't have children because some people have abused their children. But I have, um, I have tended to err on the side of saying, you know what, I, I just want to be in God's Word. I want to be in prayer. I want to be in all this stuff. And, and it's a lot less controversial to, uh, than to make a stand on on where you what you believe and um, and it's easier to just not address it than it is to address it because you realize that sometimes people uh, will say well man that's some weird junk Chill and I were talking this past week and I said you know I've I've had people ask me here they said well, we know what we think you believe uh, but you don't really talk about it all that much and I've kept saying to, to some different people that have talked to me about it I've said I'm waiting until God tells me that it's time. As Michelle and I were talking this week, um, 
She said, you know, Nathan, there, there may be people that would not be okay with it if, if you had made this a, uh, a major topic coming out the gate because they didn't know you. They haven't been around us. They don't, they don't have confidence in, in us. But they know, they know besides your oddities, <laughs> they know you're not like wacky. And so, you know, if you've, you've got some trust and you've got the ability to be able to say, this is what I believe in Scripture, and people go, all right, we know the dude's not whack and like blowing powder on people or some kind of junk like that, all right? I completely believe, um, as we saw last week, that the Scriptures support a second work of the Holy Spirit. By this, I mean that the disciples and the apostles were indeed saved, as we talked about last week, prior to Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit indwelt them, as Roman 8 states that has to be in order for someone to be converted. And then I believe that they received, as Jesus stated, a power when the Holy Spirit came upon them in what Jesus called being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Because he said, not many days from now you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. John baptized you with water, but this is going to happen. So based on that, today we're going to approach the remainder of Scripture that was written to help us understand how to properly walk and live in the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You might as well flip your Bible there because I'm not putting it on the screen. Um, not trying to be belligerent. I just told you all here a couple weeks back, you're going to need to spend more time digging into your Bible or your phone or whatever that you've got your scripture on uh, because I think, it's, I think it's better that we're getting it in our hands and adding to those senses. So we're going to read, uh, we're going to read most of this and then I'm going to I'm going to dive in as we, as we go. Beginning with verse 1, it says, Now concerning what comes from the Spirit, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you used to be led off to the idols that could not speak. Therefore, I'm informing you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, says Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God activates each gift in each person. A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of languages. To another, interpretation of languages. But one and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as He wills. Distributing to each person as he wills. I want to dive in. One of the first things Paul makes clear is that there are different spiritual gifts given, but all are a manifestation of the same Holy Spirit. So he says there's different, there's different spirits. There are, there's different ministries, but the same Lord is different gifts, but the same Spirit. There's different activities. I actually think it's pretty interesting if you follow these in order. He says in verse 4, there is one Spirit. In verse 5, he says the same Lord, referring to Jesus. So verse 4, he says there is one Holy Spirit. In verse 5, he says there is one Lord Jesus. And in verse 6, he says there are different activities, but the same God, the Father, activates each gift in each person. So he gives a somewhat, um, it's, not a, it's not a direct statement. He's not trying to, uh, to make a statement about the uh, Trinity, but he describes them. 
The Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Son, and then the Father, God. He lists them in verse 4, 5, and 6. In, when it comes to verse 7, I personally appreciate the ESV translation, which is closely aligned with the King James, the New King James, the NIV, and the NASB in this one. And it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. Paul makes it clear that the gifts of the Spirit are not for glorification of the individual, nor for personal gain, but rather for the common good, for the entire group of people. And this is one where that if, if we would recognize that this is where the abuse side comes in. But by the way, I would just point out that whether it's the Catholic Church or, or various different uh, methodologies of believing out there, there's abuse that happens outside of proclamation of the Holy Spirit. There's abuses that have happened in religion, period, because men get involved instead of following what God has said. Paul makes it clear the gifts of the Spirit are not for the individual nor for personal gain. That's not what they're there for. Verse 7, that's what he makes that clear. It's given to each person to produce what is beneficial in the CSB version. And that's why I said I like then the, the translation that's more closer to the, to the word for word and helping us understand it is that it's for the common good. If more people understood that you don't need to glorify some person because they claim to have some gift of the Spirit at operation in their life, and even when someone does have a gift of the Spirit in operation in their life, I want to tell you that if they are truly, genuinely, and honestly following God, they will not promote themselves. They simply will not promote themselves. So if people are out there trying to promote to other folks, if they're putting on their business card, if they're putting on their websites and all this, that, <clears throat> oh, you know, a prophet with the gift of healing and what... Dude, I, 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 I'm, I've got a lot of skepticism with you. I'm not saying that God doesn't do some stuff through you. I just know your, your attitude's not right. Your heart's not right. Because to, to promote yourself gets outside of this where it says this is for the common good. What I find is that too many times people are trying to commercialize this process. But I see people doing that that, don't, that are absolutely not in the Holy Spirit gifts operation camp too. They want to charge $10,000 to come and speak at your church. Plus expenses. They want, to spend, they want you to spend $8,000 to get them to come speak at something that's pro-life or whatever. And I understand you pay people for certain things and all that, but I just know that when it comes to the gospel and, and the message, there's some stuff that becomes abusive in there. Because you limit where, where poor churches and, and, and organizations that don't have all kinds of money, they can't afford to have you there because you've made the gospel inaccessible to them because of your cost. I don't have a problem with somebody saying, hey, you need to pay my plane ticket and... You know, if I'm on the other side of the country and you got to put me up somewhere, I don't care if you put me in somebody's house or put me in a hotel as long as it's, you know, I, I can't be sleeping in the same room with your kids or something like that. But, you know, do something. And yes, we ought to take care of people, but it's just cost prohibitive. And I, I, don't, I don't have great feelings about that stuff for people. Just being honest. Paul made it clear the gifts of the Spirit are not for glorification of the individual. They are for the common good. They're for the entire group of people. In Paul's vernacular, this would be defined as benefiting the local church, where Paul naturally assumed the believer would be. 
Paul naturally assumed that the believer would be connected to a group of believers that we commonly refer to as a church. And it can take a lot of different forms, but that is what Paul would be expecting. So he was saying, hey, when God's people come together, the, the operation of the gifts of the Spirit is there for the common good of that group of people. It's not about you as the individual getting put up on a pedestal. And so I find that people make that mistake. They put pastors up on a pedestal. They put evangelists up on a pedestal. They'll drive 300 miles to go hear some certain person speak or whatever else. But, well, anyway. But then, you know, you can't get them to go 13 miles to be at regular service. He said, oh, but when I go there, this happens and that happens. Yeah, and when you go there, you have an expectation of God doing something. You don't bring that same at, well, anyway. Well, it's because it's not happening. Well, I mean, I think stuff happens not because the pastor's there and not because it's a certain work. Music group's there. I think that when we have expectation, God will do stuff in your life even if everybody else isn't having anything happen in their life. He has a personal relationship with you. Then Paul dives into this list of gifts. The first one he says is to one is given a message of wisdom or a word of wisdom. This is spiritual utterance at a given moment that supernaturally discloses the mind, purpose, and way of God as applied to a specific situation. It's wisdom about a situation. This is not... People get all this stuff confused. They start getting a word of knowledge, confused with prophecy, and all this stuff. Word of wisdom is but it's it's in, it's wisdom, it's insight, it's supernatural, just closing the mind, the purpose, the way of God is applied to a specific situation. And it will never be in conflict with scripture. Ever. And it's not some, oh, I got something that's not in scripture, and that you can't support with scripture. Well, then I'm not believing you got it from God. Just telling you. Because if, if God's going to reveal a word of wisdom, it's going to be able to be supported by the word of God. Word of knowledge. And he goes, that's his second one. It says to another, a message of knowledge or a word of knowledge. Supernatural revelation of information pertaining to a person or an event given for a, for a specific purpose, usually having to do with an immediate need. This is where somebody knows something about you they're not supposed to know. Right? This is when God can call someone to speak something. In, and I'm not talking about some generic ballpark kind of stuff. I see too much of that. Now, if God narrows it down, I gave you all that example last week. You know, if we can narrow it down, say, hey, people hear you got a pain in your back, and yep, and God ministers to some people, but God has a specific, narrowed it all the way down. He called a woman's name. You know, I could, I could sit here today and say, Oh, I just feel like the Holy Spirit's saying that there's some of you that are tired. I mean, how many people are going to go, man, he's talking to me, you know? <laughs> a word of knowledge is not that. A word of knowledge is not looking and saying, hey, I just believe there's somebody here today that you are just extremely tired. You've been through a difficult week with your family. Well, I mean, how hard is it to get that out of a group of people? Most often what I have seen personally with a word of knowledge is when someone would come up to you away from a group and they would say, God has just put on my heart to say this to you. And they say it, and I'm telling you, if it don't open up the springs out of your eyes because somebody says something and you know there is no way. I've had people do that and heard that and had experienced that with something that I had felt, but I had not said anything to my wife. I had not said anything to anyone that was alive. 
I had prayed about it. I had talked to God about it. There was no way that person would know that and then come up and say, God, just put this on my heart. I don't know what it means, but I, I, I'm just going to share with you what, what, what God has given me and then say something. And maybe I'd been questioning, God, are you even hearing me? God, are you? And, them speak something. and it was specific. It wasn't generic. It was, it was specific. And I knew without a doubt Man, that is God speaking to that person. That person had no idea. They had no idea what it was about, and, and they'd go on. They weren't going, oh, oh, hey, I just gave him a word. They just wanted it to be, I've, I've spoken to you, and I just want to go on. And, and they might say, does that mean anything to you? Does that? Well, they could tell because I'm, I'm snotting by that point. He says, uh, faith is the next one to another. Faith by the same spirit. Now, the Bible talks about that, that we've all been given a measure of faith, but this is supernatural faith. This is a supernatural faith that, honestly, I think the best description is, is there is zero doubt in it. For whatever reason, in that event, that moment, God can give someone a gift of faith that there is absolutely zero doubt in what they believe and that can be an encouragement to other people who are trying to have faith but are wrestling with it because that's most of us most of the time, right? And then someone else that you can sense it, you can tell it, this person has an unwavering faith. And you know, man, God is giving that to them maybe on someone else's behalf. And it's an encouragement to people. He then goes on to say, to another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. I made myself a note and I said, that's pretty self-explanatory. That's what I said. <laughs> Right there. That's pretty self-explanatory. Um, here's the thing, and I'm just going to go ahead and I'm just going to tell you. I, Because, I, I mean, I, I have to stand for God and, and answer for it, and I'm not trying to criticize any of his other people, but I will tell you this, that, that when stuff's not true, I just believe stuff's not true. I'm not a fan at all of saying, hey, uh, you know, Jason, I want you to come up here and if Jason play guitar, I want you to get this guitar. And I'm sorry, if you figure out who I'm talking about, then you can come ask me later and I'll tell you that's who it is. Um, anybody in here, that's not one of them. But if Jason play guitar and I say, hey, I want you to come get this guitar and we're going to go right here in this center section and, when, and I'm going to tell Jason to play this guitar in a moment. When he plays this guitar, y'all are just going to feel a wave hit y'all and, and, and it's just going to knock every one of y'all over. And then, you know, and then, and then Jason gets the guitar and comes over here and he strums and, and 2,000 people all just, woo you know, and go over. Man, I'm sorry. I mean, I've seen thousands of people being in an arena. They're not all right with God. I, I just, they're not all always right with God. And I'm not saying they're not even saved. I'm saying you're not all right with God. And, and, and there's stuff where God just don't move on you sometimes when you got other stuff in the way that you need to get unburdened of and you know, because it's not like, hey, I'm going to bring all this junk in here, and I ain't been praying, and I ain't been in God's Word, and I haven't been. There's some, there's some stuff where he's got to move on you on some stuff because you got some stuff blocking, blocking him from being able to work in your life because you're not putting yourself in the right position. And, you know, we're just going to go over here. And besides that, I've never seen God operate on, on an entire room full of people the same way. Some people, they cry. Some people get excited. Some people just get very silent and very, and man, and God's just speaking to them. There's people that, I mean, it just affects them all kind of different ways. But God does gifts of healing. And there's people that get healed. Why does God not heal everybody? I, I know it sounds like a cop-out, but it's just the truth. Because God has a plan. And God's plan is not for our immediate healing necessarily, but it is 
at the fact that we will all ultimately be healed because when we pass out of this life, there'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears because that we will inherit that incorruptible body. And we think in the short term, so we think about healing. Now, sometimes God does heal. Sometimes God miraculously heals. My dad had, a, had an issue when he was a child. He couldn't run and play and all this kind of stuff. And uh, my, my grandparents did not go to a Pentecostal church. They had done everything they could. They were poor. They didn't have money to be going to doctors and all that, but he had a medical condition. They had heard that there was a revival going on and that people were getting healed at the Tallapoosa Church of God. And so they took him over there, and he got prayed for. And when they took him back to the doctor, the doctor said, it's like nothing's ever been there. Now, I'm just, I'm just telling you what, what's in my family. My grandfather... My grandfather, who couldn't even read until I was about 13, 14 years old and pastored a church and led people to Jesus Christ, he, um, he had a stomach ailment, medically documented, had a stomach ailment that, was, that had eaten away most of his stomach. He couldn't eat certain, a lot of different things. It would pain, would hit him so hard, he'd be riding down the road. They were, they were over in Mikeville, and, and he would, it would double him over. He couldn't drive. The police knew the car. They would come by, get him, call to Helen, we're bringing Curtis home. He's, uh, he, we're going to have to get the car because he's in such bad, bad shape. They, they knew him. Now, you just, you just hang in here with me because it's, it's my family's story and it's my grandfather's story, and you don't have to believe it. It's just documented, but, you know, anyway. Um, my, my grandfather, he would just seek God, just seek God. He was serving God. He would seek God. He was out in, as he used to say before he passed on, he was out in the pine thicket. And he was seeking God. And he said, God spoke to him and said, you need to go what used to be 16th Street, Church of God. It's another, so I think a Baptist church over here now, but he said, you need to go to 16th Street, Church of God. It was during the week. God told him, said, there's a revival. And there's a man that's going to pray for you and you're going to be healed. And that's just what God impressed in his heart. He couldn't stand for anybody to even touch his stomach. He went back, told, told my grandmother, said, and, and their, her mother lived with him. And uh, he said, Helen, we're, uh, we're going to go. God's, God's told me we're supposed to go to revival over at 16th Street, Church of God. They drive over to 16th Street that night, go in, kind of sit in the back. Now, on that, in that church, back then, it used to be that there was a you know, pastor could come up and he could be downstairs praying, could come up and come out almost right on the platform. And this evangelist had been downstairs praying. And he came up and walked out on that platform during the middle of of the service during the music stuff and said, hey, I've been down there. I said, I need y'all to stop. I said, I've been down there praying. And said, God spoke to me and said that he spoke to a man praying in a pine ticket and told him, I'll tell you, man, I feel all it is. Said, said, said he told him, said, you need, to, you need to come there tonight. Said, you have a pain in your stomach and God told you that if you come here, you was going to get healed tonight. I'm not talking about generic. I'm talking about specific. My grandfather got up went down there to let him pray for him. This man prayed a prayer of faith. And you don't have to believe in uh, people getting all excited in church or anything like that. You certainly don't have to believe in this right here. I'm just telling you. It's the story. Um, The man looked at my grandfather. I'm not an advocate of... God better tell you this. But he looked at my grandfather and he said, I want to hit you in the stomach. (laughs) That's after he prayed for him, all right? I'm just telling you. And uh, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, I'm just spilling stuff. It's not even in my notes today. And, uh, and he said, all right. 
And so that evangelist reared back and said, uh, hit him in the stomach. Said my grandfather went, boom, dropped over just like that. And my grandma says, my grandma says, her mama said, dear Lord, he's done kill Curtis. That's what she said, dear Lord, he's done kill Curtis. And so next thing he knew, he popped up and he was speaking in tongues and he was just praising God. Said so they were on their way home. He had never, he had, for years, he had not been able to eat cornbread and turnip greens. And he, and he loved them. He could not. His stomach couldn't handle it. It would put him in pain for days. Said so he, uh, he told her on the way home, said, Helen, when we get home, I want you to fix me some cornbread and some turnip greens. She said, Curtis, you can't eat that. He said, I'm telling you, God has healed me. And I watched my granddaddy eat cornbread and turnip greens and, and pinto beans and stuff my whole life. That's all I could ever remember. Went back to the doctor. The doctor said, we don't understand it. It's like there's never been anything wrong with your stomach. Nothing. No scarring. Nothing. My dad, my dad always says, he said, you've come too late to tell me that God can't heal. A man with an argument has no strength against a man with experience. Does God heal everybody that's ever been prayed for? No. No, he doesn't. The best answer that I have, honestly, for that is that God's plan, because he is holy, is that ultimately he wants to receive glory from our lives. And God may choose in that moment to say, I'm not going to heal you now. My answer is not no. My answer is just not now. And through our obedience... Through what we go through. I mean, I mean what? You got you got the guy that could pray three times and say, Man, deliver me from this. I got a thorn in the flesh. Says, my grace is sufficient for you. Healing is not necessary because my grace is sufficient. And that's easy to say, oh, that's a cop out because you say you believe that in healing. No, I say I believe that God can heal. I didn't say I believe that God does heal, as in God heals everything. I believe that God can heal. And I believe that God chooses to heal. And I believe that in either case, that our faith is what has to grow, even if it means, God, you're not going to heal me now, but you are going to heal me when I pass out of this life. We have the promise of healing. It's just whether it's going to be right now. And also, I would say, we have a promise of healing, whether it's miraculous right now or whether God uses the fact that He created people who become doctors and He's given them knowledge to be able to find things and discover things. And God may provide healing that comes through that. But He still designed these bodies and He still gave people wisdom and all that in order to generate healing. He then goes on and he says to another prophecy. Prophecy is divine disclosure on behalf of the Spirit. It's an edifying revelation of the Spirit. It's sudden insight by the Spirit prompting exhortation or comfort in the New Testament side. Yeah, we see prophets in the Old Testament that were, you know, very often they were coming down hard on, on people. But we see more of the prophetic in the New Testament being an edifying revelation of the Spirit. Sometimes even if it has to point something negative out, it will bring positive in our lives when we embrace that. To another, distinguishing between spirits or discerning of spirits. I'm keeping track of where I am today. Quite simply, the discerning of spirits is the ability to discern the spirit world. 
It's the ability to discern whether or not something that someone is doing, whether that is the Spirit of God or is that the Spirit of, a, of the flesh. To another, different kinds of languages. Now I know that's what this, whether you want to call it tongues, languages, whatever else. Speaking supernaturally in a tongue not known by the individual, whether that is a known language, just not known by that person, or an unknown language, which we'll see here in a moment. I'm going to speed up after this. And in interpretations of tongues, that could be an interpretation of a language that's unknown naturally to the speaker. Verse 11, he says, But one and the same Spirit is active in all of these. Distributing to each person as he wills. Once again, it's a spirit. Then Paul goes into this long discourse here from verse 12 on down. And I'm not going to read into all of this. You can read, read all of that. Um, this is where he gets into talking about the body. He gets into talking about how, the, the, in fact, to function in fullness, the body needs all the different members doing their individual part. Anything less than that, you don't have full function. Paul is pointing out to this church, that there shouldn't be any glorification of individual gifts over the others. Well, everything doesn't have to be an eye. You need a knee. You need a foot. You need toes on the foot. You need fingers. You need ears. You need all these different things. Everything's not going to be an eye, a face, a nose, an ear, whatever. He says, but it requires all of this. And so Paul reemphasizes how God works in the church by there being all of these different functions. But then when he gets down to verse 27, he says, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has placed these in the church. So, now I want you to grasp something. He started out chapter 12 talking about, I want you to not be... You know, in other words, I want you to not be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. He's not swapping subjects in this chapter. He started out talking about these spiritual gifts. He goes into an illustration in order for us to understand how the gifts function within the body. Because he says there's, there's, there's eyes and ears and nose and toes and whatever. He's, he's describing it so we understand that and that these gifts all function together in the same way. Because this church was having problems with they were glorifying tongues. They were having an issue with that was the one gift that they were trying to exalt above every, every other one. And he's going, hey, you need to understand there's diversity in the gifts, but they function together as a body functions together, and you are the body of Christ and individual members of it, and God has placed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, managing, various kinds of languages. So he's reemphasizing again. By the way, I, I will still and will always say that the idea that this all went away after these apostles died off just doesn't make sense to me scripturally because what I see here is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He doesn't say, hey, I want you to know that for the time being, you have apostles and prophets and teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, help and managing various kinds of languages. But when, when those of us apostles die off, that's all going away and you, you don't have any of that. You just don't have any of that anymore. No, he says God has placed these in the church. 
apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helping, managing, various kinds of languages. But then he goes into something interesting. He asks a series of questions that would reasonably be answered no. And that is, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all do miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in other languages? No. Do all interpret? No. But desire the greater gifts. And I will show you an even better way. We're going to skip chapter 13 this way. We're going to end up coming back to that. I want you to flip over to chapter 14 for us to pick up some of this message. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and above all, that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in another language is not speaking to men, but to God, since no one understands him. I just want to clarify there. He doesn't say, unlike what we see in Acts 2 in Jerusalem, and we also see in Ephesus and a couple of other times, this is not where he says, well, you're speaking in a language that you don't understand, but somebody else understands. He says, for the person who speaks in another language is not speaking to men, but to God, since no one understands him. I, I personally truly believe that this, this scripture alone is indication that while in Acts 2, I think in, in, and in, in Ephesus and in Samaria there in Acts, that we definitely see that God causes people to speak in a known language that they do not know because it says that people there hear them speaking these things and the glories of God in their language. I think in this, it says no one understands him. So this supports to me that you may speak in tongues. I'm going to show you later in this chapter too, that there may be a time of speaking in tongues that no one understands unless God gives them the interpretation. He says, however, he speaks mysteries in the spirit. But the person who prophesies speaks to people for edification, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in another language builds himself up. But he who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in other languages, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in languages unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. But now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in other languages, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even inanimate things that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? In fact, if the trumpet makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world and all have meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. We'll come back to that. Therefore, the person who speaks in another language should pray that he can interpret. For if I pray... Now, here's where I want you to grasp, because I almost feel like he keeps tying the two different things in here. For if I pray in another language, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with the spirit... And I will also sing with my understanding. Now, remember, if you were in Bible study this morning here before church, we talked about the contrast. Here is you a great example of it. Here's two contrasts. He says, I'm going to pray in the spirit, 
and then I'll pray, in, but I'll also pray with understanding. In other words, when he prayed in the Spirit, he did not understand what he was saying. I'm just telling you, I don't care if you want to believe that it's, he's speaking French or Spanish or Romanian or Bulgarian. I don't care what you think it is. It's something he doesn't understand. Paul said, I will. Not I have, not I used to, not, but I will, which is a now and into the future. I will pray in the Spirit, and I will also pray with understanding. So it's not just, well, I was praying being led by the Holy Spirit. Well, he could have just said that. He could have said, I pray with understanding led by the Holy Spirit. He said, I pray in the Spirit, and then I pray with understanding. And then he says, I'll sing with the Spirit, and I'll also sing with my understanding. In other words, I'm going to sing some stuff that I don't know what I'm singing. I don't know what the, the words are that I'm saying. But then I'm also going to sing and I'm going to understand what I'm singing. He said, otherwise, if you praise with the Spirit, how will the uninformed person say, Amen, as you're giving a thanks as he does not know what you're saying. For you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person's not being built up. I thank God that I speak in other languages more than all of you. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding. In other words, and let's see the immediate contrast. I thank God that I speak in other languages more than all of you. He's not saying, I thank God that I speak six different dialects. Because he immediately contrasts it with that I would rather in the church speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also, also than 10,000 words in another language. Brothers, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. It is written in the law, I will speak to these people by people of other languages and by the lips of foreigners, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. It follows that speaking other languages is intended as a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. So there I could see, hey, God calls you to speak in a language that somebody else understands, and they know you don't know how to speak it. But prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in other languages, people who are uninformed or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your minds? Well, now why would they say you're out of your minds if it was a language that they understood but you didn't understand? No, they're going to come in. So I'm telling you, he, he keeps tying the two together. He says, hey, they come in and you guys are all speaking in tongues and, and they don't understand. They're going to go, these people are crazy. So he says, they're out of their minds. But if you all are prophesying and some unbeliever, uninformed person comes in, he's convicted by all, he's judged by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result, he'll fall face down and worship God, proclaiming God is really among you. I'm going to come to the rest of that here in just a minute. I'm trying to, I'm trying to pay attention and, and uh, respect your time today. Paul, Paul clearly states here and says, I want you to pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, and above all, that you prophesy. And then he immediately goes to talking again about tongues and prophecy. But he makes it clear that the person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in language unless he interprets so the church may be built up. Why is that? Number one, the biggest thing is, and, and I, I, I firmly believe this, I firmly believe that the majority of what should happen with uh, the gift of tongues will happen in your private time. I think that's why Paul says, I will pray in the Spirit, I will sing in the Spirit. I'm not saying only, but I'm just saying I think the majority of it will happen in your private time. 
In fact, I would even say that if the only time that you want to see the operation of gifts of spirit in your life is when you're in church, your attitude about it's wrong. It ought to be that that it is that that, that is happening in your private life more than anything else. Number one, because you're there more than you're here. All right. However, when it operates, when something operates within the church, it ought to be for the building up of the uh, of the of the body. So I believe that what what happens more than anything else is that the 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 gift of tongues and and the the singing and and speaking in the spirit, as he said there, and praying in the spirit, um, I, I believe that happens more more often in your private life than it does anywhere else. And I believe it should. I believe that's where it, where it should occur because he said there that when you do that, it builds you up. It builds up the person because you feel the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit operating within you and you know that that is a connection. You think about the scripture that says when we don't know what to pray that the Holy Spirit will make intercession for us with groanings and utters and things that cannot be uttered. Um, with things we just don't understand. And the Holy Spirit then, then works through us and prays that perfect prayer through us because he is God and he can speak to himself and do so perfectly on our behalf when we don't know what to pray. However, he also talks about prophecy and prophecy only really works if it involves somebody else. So he says, it's great. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, above all that you would prophesy. I usually get bothered when people want to tell me coming out the gate, hey, I want you to know that I'm a prophet. Hey, I want you to know that I'm a skeptic <laughs> about you personally. I'm just telling you because I, I feel like that the Holy Spirit will reveal himself, not you. I feel like the Holy Spirit will manifest himself and you don't need to go telling people, hey, I'm a prophet. Hey, I speak in tongues. Hey, I got the gift of healing. Hey, you glorifying yourself. I got, I've got, I've got, I've got. Just let God use you. And when God does that, it won't glorify you, but people will glorify God. It'll point people to God and not people to you as an individual. Paul then goes on to say, I, I thank God I speak in, in other languages more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others than 10,000 words in another language. I want to give you this statement. I'm, I'm wrapping up, but I want to give you this statement. A, a, a good pastor friend of mine who I'm good friends with his son and, and really respect his dad who's a pastor. I remember him saying this uh, years ago. We were having a conversation at their house one night. I played in a band with them, and we'd always practice over there at their house. And somehow we got on to this. And his dad made a statement, and it has stuck with me for now probably nearly 20 years. He said, uh, you know, Nathan, a gift can be given to anyone. But fruit is a sign of a mature tree. I think one of the most important things is if we got over into the, the fruit of the Spirit, I think people get way too focused on the, gift of the, the gifts of the Spirit. Well, that's where the abuses happen. Because you can give a child a gift of a Ferrari. And it's a powerful vehicle. And if you needed to get somewhere in a hurry, as long as you could keep it running, right, Dennis? If you needed to get somewhere in a hurry, you could probably, you could probably take that Ferrari and get there a lot faster than you could in a Yugo. But put it in the hands of a child, 
And they could wreck stuff, hurt other people, and do damage. Gifts are that way. I very much believe that God will give gifts of the Spirit to, to very young, inexperienced believers. And it is up to the church to very quickly encourage people to mature, to seek God, to understand God's Word, to grow in maturity, because if not, they will attempt to utilize a gift. And they'll try to do so in a way that becomes abusive. They'll do so in a way that hurts others. They'll do so in a way that... If we couple gifts of the Spirit with fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, you know, long-suffering, all that kind of stuff, self-control, all of those things, then the balance act occurs that the fruit that's a sign of maturity will help us in how we as a person try to operate within the gifts. The Bible talks about the gift being subject to the prophet, being subject to the person. He even talks about, don't, in the opposite, don't quench the Holy Spirit. He ends up, this passage here in 14 says, oh, we don't have enough time to get into all of this. We don't have enough time to get into all that. You can read the rest of it. We'll probably talk about it some next week. There's just so much there that if I get into it, it's, it's too deep. Paul just makes it clear that there are these gifts. There is this list of gifts. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. I made this statement to Michelle this week, and this this one I'm going to end with. Jace, if I can get you, go ahead and bring us a little bit of music here. Because um, I want you to be thinking, because I told you we're going we're gonna to be ending services with, if you want to have prayer, then we're going we're gonna to anoint you. Uh, so if you, you, you be seeing whether the Holy Spirit's telling you, hey, you need to have prayer or something. I looked at Michelle this week, and we were talking about some of this and just talking about me personally and, and some of the, the um, if you want to call it riding the fence or whatever that, that I've probably done for years with just not talking a lot about this. I told her, I said, you know, here's what I don't understand. I don't understand why anyone would want to believe that none of this was available. I don't know why you would want to. I don't know why you would want to say, yeah, God... uh, God's not going to give us a word of wisdom because we just got the Bible now. I understand that. That's why I'm very, I try to be very clear about if, if somebody's trying to say, oh, you know, thus says the Lord, and it's something that's not supported by Scripture, thus did not say the Lord. Amen. I, I just, they say, well, then why does, why does, you know, God even need to speak like that if, if, uh, if you've already got his word? I don't know. Why do we need to preach? We just give everybody a copy of the Bible and say, go read that. And Holy Spirit will just work in your life and, and you'll just come to, why do we need to teach? Maybe because he gave apostles and prophets and teachers and oh, but in that same list, he, he rattled off some of those gifts. 
Well, why would, why would God need to speak to you with a word of knowledge? I don't know. I mean, maybe because it, at times when I'm sitting there and I'm, and I'm just going, God, I, I'm praying and I'm believing and, you know, but I don't find something specific in your word except for me to have faith and, and believe. And, and God just uses somebody to... I mean, think about, think about the prophet. It's, you know, Nathan, remember he, he goes in and... And uh, and David David's going. He says, "Hey, uh, David, what did you think about a guy that he had a he had a little lamb and didn't have a whole lot, you know? And and another guy comes along and wanted it, and so he takes it. And uh, this is a really short version. You know what? What do you think ought to happen? He says, oh, that guy ought to suffer. He ought to be punished. And the prophet says, "Thou art the man." Right? David taking people's wives. And David's, oh my goodness. Just. I don't know. I mean, it seemed to have an impact. And God used a word of knowledge. Why would he even have gift of healing? Because uh, somebody needed to be healed. I don't know. That one seemed pretty straightforward. About working in miracles, where a manifestation of power beyond the ordinary course of natural law. I don't know why did Jesus need to turn water into wine? Why didn't he just say, "You guys need to prepare better. You guys should have done a better job of preparing for this wedding." But the first miracle that he does, he does something that defies the laws of nature. Turns water into wine. In fact, it's so powerful. That they come and go, hey, this is backwards. Normally, you put the, the good stuff out first. Everybody gets a little tipsy. I'm sorry if you got a problem with that in the Bible. It's just what, that's what they subscribe about this wedding. And then when they can't tell, you bring the cheap junk out. But you have saved this best stuff for last. Because God never does anything halfway. All I know is right at that moment. They were like, how old is this? He said, <laughs> he didn't really. <laughs> Be like, it's, like, it's like a couple minutes. <laughs> They're going, that's a good year. <laughs> Discerning the spirits, different kinds of tongues. Why does anybody need to speak in tongues? Well, on the most basic scale, because if you were somewhere and somebody spoke a different language and God decided to use you to speak a language they know you didn't speak and you proclaim the glories of God, I imagine that what happened in Acts chapter 2 could happen. I imagine that person is liable to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit did an action through you that you didn't have the ability to do and it testified, surely God is with this person. Oh, why do you need to speak in an unknown tongue? I don't know, the Bible says it builds you up. I, because maybe I, I, I don't, what I already said, but I, I don't know what to pray in that moment. And so the Holy Spirit speaks, and I don't know whether that's, I've heard people, I've watched, I've watched some beautiful saints of God. Just godly people. 
And they didn't all sound the same. I, I don't know. I just know I could feel God when it happened. I just know I could feel God's presence, and I knew. There was one, oh, a good friend of mine, Sister Ford, Helen Ford. And when I was a kid, you know, we used to think that stuff was funny. You know, people speaking in tongues, we thought that stuff was funny. As I grew older, and a newer life, and knew, you know, some of the, the things and that she'd been through, and man, God would just move on her, and she'd just cry. There was this one song that she always liked to like to lead in the, you know, because they do, you know, singing out of the hymn book, you know, stand up and just pick a song, and so you know, you take off and sing that. Back then, and she'd sing it, and God would move on her, and she'd just start speaking in tongues, yeah. And it wasn't a big show or anything like that, but but she'd just God had just move on her. I think one of the uh, one of the biggest things, and this is one of the biggest struggles that I've always had. If you ask me, Nathan, have you ever spoken in tongues? Yes, I have. If you ask me, Nathan, have you ever interpreted? No, I haven't. That's probably was one of the biggest struggles for me in my ministry career, and I think it's what even led me to uh, to be okay not focusing on it that much because I was always like, okay, God. You have never used me to interpret something. Everywhere I've ever been, a pastor always. And then I've been some places over, and then all of a sudden God used somebody else and he wasn't a pastor. And I was like, dear Lord, send one of them people. <laughs> I think I always thought, man, you know, what if, what, if God doesn't, what if God doesn't use me to interpret a message? And because there's been times where, you know, I was, I was a little unsure about somebody, you know, trying to interpret something. And I uh, didn't feel that. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes on with it. There just is. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I don't have to not have a sound mind to believe that God does working through the gifts of the Spirit. I consider myself to be an intelligent person. I consider myself to be a, a good skeptic of things to want to understand them. And I just keep coming back to that God does what His Word says. Whether He ever uses me to interpret a message, I don't know. Don't know. I'm just tired of caring. Now, not that I don't want God to ever use me to interpret, but if, if God knows that was going to be an issue of pride for me or whatever, if that, then, then don't. And He probably won't. You know, if that were to be the case, I'm all right with that. But I don't understand why you wouldn't want the Holy Spirit to, to move in these things. I understand that some people will say, well, it's not that I don't want to. I just don't believe that that's how God works. There's a difference in me not wanting it, and I don't believe that's how God works. Well, I just can't figure out how you're reading it that way. 
I've read how you read it that way, but I can't figure out how you read it that way. So I don't think that we need to go on some crusade to start going, all right, everybody start praying for, you know, God manifest some spiritual gift in your life. I I don't think that's what our prayer needs to be. But I would encourage you that I think our prayer needs to be this. God, if you want to use me, whatever it is, whether it's a, a gift of the Spirit, whether it's in a, you know, going evangelizing, whether it's knocking on doors, I don't care what it is. No limits, God. No limits. I'm not just going to say, well, God, if you want to use me in children's church, or God, if you want to use me in this, that's okay, but, but not that other stuff, because that would be kind of weird, and, and I don't know what that would look like, and, and I think that would be crazy, and people think I was nuts. and what, Just no limits, God. Yeah. However you want to use me, God, use me. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, and I give you all the glory and all the honor. I pray that you will help us today to be open to your spirit, to be open to how you want to move and work in our midst. This is your house. We are your people. Come have your way. In us, among us, through us. We just ask and believe this in the name of your Son and our strong Savior, Jesus.